Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Wait now, but I just want it to be known that little Jimmy fell asleep before I started preaching, not while I was preaching. So good to see Logan, the rest of the gang here, or just come by yourself. They're running, oh, is that half of them are back. Okay. Well, glad you guys made it back to the sky Tearing up the road on your trip back. Who were you guys riding with? Your dad? Pastor David, that's why you made it back so quick. Huh? If you have your Bibles, you turn with me to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 54. We want to continue in our series this morning of prayerful stewardship. Prayerful stewardship. And this morning, I want to throw out this idea. We've been talking about what ifs and this idea today of what if, what if we do something extraordinary? What if we do something extraordinary? Now, I struggle with a sermon like this because of uh, the culture that we live in. And you've probably heard a few sermons that kind of walk alongside of this. I see Brandon there too. Good to see you back, man. You snuck in there. Um, we live in a culture that defines success as something that's bigger, something that's better. You have to have more of. Like, look at our church. In order to be successful, we need more people, and we need more money, and we need more, more stuff. We live in a culture that says that. And so this idea of doing something extraordinary, something bigger, something better, something greater... That's not what I'm talking about. And you'll see as we go throughout the text here, I do struggle with this. But at the same time, sometimes when we look at the health and wealth gospel, which is not the true gospel, it's the gospel that lies to you and deceives. And it says, if you follow Jesus, then, then if you really trust him and put your faith in him, then he will give you everything that you need and so much more. His blessings are going to pour out on you so that you can have more stuff. And if you just have enough faith, or if you just give enough money to this number or this website, we'll pray for you and you will be healed. And if you don't, aren't healed, then it's because you don't have enough faith. Well, that's not the gospel as I read it according to the true and living Bible. I think sometimes in our reaction to that health and wealth gospel is we go to the other extreme. And while there is hardship and there is persecution that's promised to those who will be faithful to the Lord. It isn't easy. And we see the Apostle Paul, even in the midst of, of, of his thorn in his flesh, he says he takes great joy in the persecution, in the trials and the hardships of his life. And so we see that and we're on this side and we're like, well, life's just going to be like that. I want to propose that I think there's more to it. I think God loves pouring out his blessing on his children. I experienced that. I, I, I'm sure you have too. We sit here today very privileged. You sit here. Thank you. Somebody. We do. Look at what we have. We were talking about this in our life group the, uh, a couple weeks ago. Maybe it was Sunday night. Uh, I, I haven't, I haven't, since Lisa and I have been married, we have had food in our house. Even if it, I told her, I said, 
we talked early on. She's laughing because she knows what I'm going to say. I'm, I'm not a really picky eater. I said, if you just have bread and peanut butter and jelly, that's all I need. She's like, really? I'm like, yes. Like, I'm not complicated. And that time that we didn't have peanut butter and jelly, it was okay. It was a learning lesson for me and for her. But you think about all that we enjoy, and yet there's a culture that tells us we need more. You deserve more. You should have this. But when we think about this idea of stewardship and this idea of God giving us and entrusting to us our lives, our, our, you have the head that sits on your shoulders because God gave you that. You have the capacity to think because God gave you that capacity. You have the brains to be able to get your schooling and to do all, all, acquire all the knowledge and wisdom that you needed or need because God gave that to you. You, yes, while you did some things, God enabled you to do those things. Don't be so proudful and arrogant to think that we sit here today and that God hasn't already bestowed upon us the blessing or it's just what I've been able to accomplish in my life. You couldn't accomplish anything without the Lord. Keep it coming, Mary Kay. So I struggle with a sermon like this today because of what our culture has told us and lied to us about. I also struggle because is it we that are the doing or is it God that is doing? While God is the one who is working, I do think that we have a responsibility. There is a God who is in charge and he is sovereign and in control of everything. I believe that. And I'm so thankful that we have a sovereign God, aren't you? At the same time, not but, at the same time, God gives us, you and me, responsibility. Remember last week I talked about the rototiller and looking backwards? Somebody has to have their hand on the rototiller. You got to have your hand on the plow. Right? God puts us there to put our hands on the plow. you got to work the plow. Now, God could plow the field if he wanted to, but often he chooses us. So we have the responsibility to put our hands on the plow. This morning, I want us to look and kind of see these three points as we walk through this as prayers and as pursuits. These are prayers that we can pray and ask the Lord, Lord, would you, would you help me do these? And you might say, well, these aren't extraordinary things. Well, in a way they are. It's, it's, a, it's a vision, it's a thought to think beyond just our normal. It's something that we can pursue, something that we're asking God and we're pursuing his answers for. God tells us often we have not because we ask not. And so this morning I want to take us to a passage that when you would probably read it on the surface, you would be like, okay, how is he going to pull a sermon from that passage? Isaiah 54, and we're going to look at the first four verses. And so if you're willing and able, would you stand with me and let's read these together. I'll read and you can follow along. It'll be up on the screen behind me and you can follow along in your text as well. Isaiah 54, verse 1. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, 
you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent, and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. Will you bow and pray with me? Lord, thanks for your word. Thanks for the opportunity to dig into it. And when we think this morning about this idea of doing something extraordinary for you, Lord, we know that we desperately need your help. And so I pray that you would work in us, that your Holy Spirit would work in our minds and our hearts. You would challenge us to our very core and that we would leave here changed and different because we've met with you, the true and living God. We love you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So a little context here as we jump in and we talk about the barren one and having babies and all this stuff about setting up tents and them stretching out and all that. Say, what in the world is all this? Well, a little context. We see in chapter 53 of Isaiah, chapter 53 is about the Messiah, the coming Messiah who is going to suffer. All right. Um, Chapter 54 or chapter 53 is really, again, uh, the desire for us to see. It's a prophetic writing of the coming sacrificial Messiah who is going to ultimately suffer. And some of chapter 3 talks about that suffering that he will walk through. On the heels of that, we come to this passage, Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54 is written uh, and it's intended for the people of God of people who are being challenged um, in their faith in God, all right? They've suffered, they're discouraged, they're fearful. Um, Some of it because of their own doing, a lot of it is, which we'll get to in a minute, but going against what was popular, what was uh, seeking for approval, what was the consensus, um, and all that they're, The enemies, as the people of God were looking, the enemies were succeeding, right? Kind of like we feel sometimes as God's children, we look at the world and how does it seem that the world's prospering? And I've had conversations with with many of people who who are struggling to do what God desires for them to do. And and they're just struggling. They're struggling financially or they're struggling in relationships. They're, They're trying to do what God wants and to honor him and yet... Here's these other people who are blatantly living against God and his word, and yet they're prospering. They don't seem to have the same worries and concerns, and yet I don't even have enough money to pay for gas to go to work, one gentleman once told me. I don't get it. Chapter 54 is is a message of hope, and it's a challenge to trust in God. God's people here were chastened. We read earlier in the book of Isaiah. They were persecuted. Many of them had their hopes shattered. I don't know where you sit today, but maybe that's right now in this season of life where you sit. Or maybe that is a season that is to come. Maybe it just 
Things are going well and smoothly right now. And maybe this is a message that you need to tuck back in your mind so that when life is a struggle and when life is hard and when things just don't seem to be going the way God desires or the way that you desire or the way that you think God should work, that you're reminded of his promises and his truths. Because God can be trusted. God has promised, and what he says here, that his people would be more joy-filled and they will experience more blessing than those that seem to be prospering now. It reminds me of the Beatitudes, and it reminds me of our time that we just spent last week in Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon of the Mount, as Jesus stands and he's proclaiming this great sermon, he starts this sermon off with the Beatitudes. And he starts off saying, blessed are, and he says this, the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, in the context of what we're talking about here, of the stewardship of God, it is God's kingdom that we're living for. It's not our kingdom. It's not this kingdom of this world. It's God's kingdom. And if you're not part of God's kingdom, God invites you to be a part of that. But again, it's your decision. Will you choose to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? For those of us who have claimed Jesus as Lord and Savior, and we would say we are a follower of Jesus, we need to be about his kingdom, to seek his kingdom first. And so here Jesus reminds our hearers, and much of what we see here in Isaiah 54, it kind of is, is, a, is a reminder, and it goes well. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, because why? Theirs is the kingdom of of God. It's not just here and now. You may be struggling and in your spirit you're you're mourning. You're saying, "Lord, I don't get this." Understand. Rejoice. Remind yourself because there is no greater kingdom that you are a part of. Here's our three points. I haven't been doing this lately, so I brought it back, okay? Three simple points for you, all right? That's what I learned in, in Bible school. You need to have three points, no more than five. And uh, it's best if you alliterate, like um, have the same letter so that people can remember. Yeah, that doesn't work. <laughs> I hope that you're able to take some of this today, even if you don't remember every point. That when you come across, maybe you come across Isaiah 54 in the future as you're reading, or maybe later on this week you open up the Word and you're reminded of the truths that God tells us here. The first is this. It's a prayer. It's, a, it's an asking. It's a desiring. It's a pursuit to say, Lord, would you enlarge my capacity? think about this, I think of a warehouse and you run out of room and you say, I need more room. I think of that when I see a box of donuts. Enlarge my capacity, Lord, that I may be able to eat more. They're so good. Or when you're a student in school and you're sitting in a class and you're You've had it up to here and you can't focus and concentrate. You're like overwhelmed. You're like, I can't, I can't have any more. Can't take any more in. There's no more room to be able to cry out and say, Lord, enlarge my capacity. I need to be able to take this in. 
We see this in verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah 54, where God says, Sing, O barren one who did not bear. This, this, is, this is contrary to what should take place. A woman who cannot bear a child should be in mourning, right? And yet the Lord says here, sing. There's a proclamation to proclaim and to say, hey, life is good. Even though your circumstances may be bad. He says, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. I praise God that I have never been, nor will I ever be in labor. It is amazing to me that you ladies would go through labor and then do it again after having experienced it. Oh, I'm thankful my mom did. After my brother, she still had me. And then she, the Lord blessed us and I had a little brother. You think about this idea of rejoicing and this call to rejoice, even though you haven't been blessed with a child. There's a, there's a fourth scene that God sees something that, the, that his people aren't able to see yet. Remember, this is on the heels of the Messiah who was going to come and die for them in Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 54, listen, I want you to rejoice you who think that you have nothing. Because keep reading. It says, For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married. So wait a minute. Here is this one who is barren, who has no children. And then there's this proclamation to, to proclaim, to sing out, to shout, to to praise God because, why? Well, he tells us, because you're going to have more than what you see over here. All those that you're seeing and that you're comparing yourself to, you feel like you don't have the capacity to do that? God says, let me tell you, you're going to have more. The children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married. Verse 2, enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. The children of the desolate one will be more than to enlarge the capacity Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19 says this, A new thing I am doing, the Lord says. Can't you see it? You ever been there? God's like, hey, can you just see what I'm doing? And you're sitting there saying, I can't see a thing, Lord. <laughs> Help me to see it. And what he says in Isaiah 43, verse 19, I will make a way. I'm making a way for you in the wilderness. Now, I've been in the wilderness in the deep, dark parts of Canada. Nick was there. He went with us. Glad you're here to celebrate your mom's birthday. I know that means a lot for her. Todd and Amy went with us. Others of you have gone to the deep, dark parts of Canada. Lisa, she's like, you better tell me. I've been there multiple times. 
When you're in the middle of the wilderness and you can't find the trail, you're lost. You can't see where you're going. Isaiah says here, the Lord says in Isaiah 43, I am making a way in the wilderness. And then he says this next phrase, rivers in a desert. Who can make a river in a desert? Ever been to a desert? Ain't no rivers running through there. Now you might dig down and you may say, oh, there's rivers underneath. That's like saying it's not hot when it's 100 degrees because it's a dry hot. No, it's still hot. You could tell me all you want that there's rivers running underneath the sand. It doesn't matter. It's a desert. You can't get to it. And that's the beauty of what God does. And he's working when we can't see it. There's a passage over in 1 Chronicles. If you want to turn there, you can quickly. If not, that's okay. It'll be up on the screen. 1 Chronicles. You ever read the book of Chronicles before? Exciting, isn't it? You read all those names. I'm sure you pronounce them much better than I do. That's why I'm not going there. Not today. But you're in the middle of all these kings and all these people and all these things that are going on. And there's a little nugget here. And there's a book that was written about this guy, uh, The Prayer of Jabez. But I want to look because it is really interesting to look at who he is. And so we see here in 1 Chronicles 4, verses 9 and 10, there's a pause in this whole listing, and it says that uh, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And his mom called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. How would you like to be named that? Your mom named you, you're a pain Essentially, that's what Jabez was named. You're a pain. And this legacy goes with him throughout his life. But notice the text. He was more honorable than his brothers. And so he's fighting this, this, this action, these words of his mother. Maybe that's been you. While moms and dads are great, sometimes... They say things or do things that try to define who we are, what we can or what we can't do. Jabez was called a pain. Thankfully, I don't know any Jabez's here. None of you have named your children that. Be careful if you see one. Notice Jabez's prayer in verse 10. Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm, so that it might not bring me pain. And God granted what he asked. He asked, Lord, would you enlarge my border? Would you extend it? Would your right hand be with me? Your hand, your hand of power, your hand of strength, your hand of guidance. And that you would keep me from harm or from evil 
So that what? So that my name might not come true. So that it wouldn't be said of me that I'm a pain. Text tells us what did God do? He granted his request. God saw that Jabez wasn't a pain. <laughs> he heard his desire for what he wanted. He wanted to honor God. He wanted God to allow him that his borders would, would, would grow. That his, what we're going to see here, his influence would, would, would be bigger and better. And that God would keep him from evil. Why? So that his name wouldn't come to define who he is who he was. When we think about our lives and asking God, Lord, would you enlarge my capacity? And to pursue that. For us to truly pursue and say, all right, right now, I don't feel like I have the capacity to do anything else. You ever said that? Ever felt that? Ever been there? And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have boundaries this morning, okay? Good, healthy boundaries are great. But I want to challenge you. Who set those boundaries? Was the Spirit of God helping you to set those boundaries so that you could be healthier? Or did you set those boundaries so that you could say to yourself, okay, I'm more comfortable here now? To be able to pursue and to say, Lord, I don't have any children. But I'm going to trust you that you're providing them. I'm not telling that you that literally, okay? I'm not saying that you're going to bear a child. But look at our texts in Isaiah 54. This whole idea of bearing children when we don't have the capacity to do that. She's barren. Only God could provide that capacity. But it's a belief. It's a pursuit to say, Lord, I believe and I'm asking you, I'm requesting of you, just like Jabez did. Only God can grant us the capacity to do more. To have more knowledge. To go to school. To have more energy. Maybe you need to exercise. That you would have more time. The truth is, we all get 24 hours every day. You get it, and I get it. You can't add any more, and nobody can take that 24 hours away from you. You choose and schedule how you want to use it. You say, well, my job schedules it for me. Listen, pray, and ask God for wisdom and guidance. I'm not saying you need to quit your job, but if your job doesn't help you walk with the Lord... If your job is your higher priority than pursuing the kingdom of God, then you need to reevaluate things. I didn't hear any amens because it's, it's confronting us with where we really live life. We can sit here and say, oh, Lord, expand my borders. Yes, I, I want to do, do more. Here's my commitment, my capacity to do more. I want to do that. But when the rubber meets the road, what are we actually doing? What are you doing with your money? Oh, here it is. He's going to talk about money now. Yeah. 
Some of you don't have money because you don't have a job. You're not willing to work hard. God wants us to work hard. Some of you are all about your job. Some of you are all about the pursuit of money instead of seeing it as how God has given it to you and entrusted it to you. It's not a capacity to get more. Maybe it's enlarging your capacity to do something greater with what he's already given you, which means a budget, which means sticking to it. And let me pause for a minute. I'm going to step to the side here. I'm still working on this. I'm not real good at that. So I'm not throwing a stone at your glass house because mine's glass too. So when I'm talking about building the capacity, we all have this pursuit that we need to be after, asking God for his help, for his guidance. And yet we can't just fluff it off. Yes, God is sovereign, but he wants us to have our hand at the plow too. So Lord, would you enlarge my capacity? Next, number two, is to stretch my commitment. We go back to Isaiah 54, and we look at verse 4. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Ashamed, why? Because you were barren, and look at all the other nations. They got all kinds of kids, meaning they've had the blessings. They have this appearance that everything is really good, and here you are, and you don't have anything. You're desolate. You have cities that don't even have people in them anymore. The text here says, fear not, for you will not be ashamed. I love what Paul writes when he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For you today, would you claim that? Would you be able to say that? To say, Lord, my commitment to you, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed because I'm not desolate like I was without you. It says, for you will forget the shame of your youth, talking to Israel, the people of God, and their younger times, how they turned away from him. And he says, and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. And then he goes on to talk about how he's their husband. And yet they abandoned him. And he abandoned them. But then he goes on in the rest of this chapter. God promises that he will not forsake the nation of Israel. That he will keep his word and he will be true to them. There are so many wonderful truths that God has given to us, the church. To his people, to his children, for us. He has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's promised that as we walk through the trials, that he will give us what we need as we walk through them. Why? Because he has a plan. And his plan is for us to love him more. For us to grow in our faith. So that as we see a trial come, we can count it all joy. Knowing that the testing of our faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect work in us. God wants us to be more like his son Jesus. It's stretching our commitment, my commitment. I wonder, has God ever disappointed you? 
I think if we're all honest, we could probably pinpoint a time or hopefully just a fleeting thought. But if we were honest, it's a perspective that we can say that we were disappointed. Maybe in God or maybe the way that he was allowing things to happen. Here's Israel and they're probably not disappointed in God. And in fact, they're disappointed in themselves. And that's why he's saying, listen, you don't have to fear. And this thought about what it was like before, it's fleeting. Let it go. God has a perfect will. And sometimes those come in opposition with my expectations. God's perfect will and what my expectations of what life should look like. Romans 12.2 tells us this. To do, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing. See what that word says there? What is it? Testing. What is a test? I can just say I cringe a little bit because I was never a good test taker. I very much dislike tests. If I could talk to you, if I could talk to my teacher or my professor. Yep, we'll get through it. My wife says I brown nosed. I don't know who ever came up with that term, but I just got to know my professors. And skated by. But tests are there to help us to see where we line up. The testing that comes in our life, that by testing, God allows tests to come. And when they do, they help us to discern what is the will of God. And what is the will of God? What is good, perfect, acceptable, and what's the last word there? What is it? It's right there. See that word? It starts with a P. It's called, do you believe in the perfect will of God? God gives us choice. I have responsibility. To be able to see that God keeps his word and is fully committed to me. But asking him to help me to stretch my commitment to him. Because the truth is, Paul says later on in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6, those who sow sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And in the text, in the Greek, it says with blessing. It might not be in your translation, but it should be. You will reap bountifully with blessing. Again, that's where our opposition to the health and wealth gospel, we go sometimes too far Listen, when we start asking God to say, Lord, would you help me to go beyond what would be considered normal in my commitment? Lord, I'm asking that you would enlarge my commitment, that you would stretch the way that I see this. And I'm talking about not just your money, but I am talking about your funds that God has given to you. What about your time, your energy, the wisdom, the knowledge that God's given you? How are you asking God to stretch your commitments? Because those who spare sowingly or they sow sparingly 
They are going to reap sparingly. You say, well, this is all I got. Had a conversation with my wife uh, this weekend. Hey, I think we need to cut so and so and so and so out because we can live without those. Why? Because we can have more money? No, because we want to give. Now, it's not going to happen unless we take these commitments. I take the steps that are needed in order to do that. What about you? Your time, your energy. Say, man, I really want to grow and I want to learn. Do you know what? We provide two classes every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock for people to grow in the Word and in your walk with Jesus. One is on the book of Hebrews right now, and one is on prayer. And we get to gather, and we have some great teachers who are showing us from God's Word how to live life. How many of you, and I won't ask you to raise your hands because I already know, how many of you don't come to that? But you would say in your mind, oh, I'd love to be there. I need to be there. I should be there. Say, Pastor, you're preaching to the choir because we're here. Yes, I know that. But it's not about being content here. It's about asking God and saying, God, I want to be more committed to you. I want to see you do some amazing things. The extraordinary. And sometimes it's just taking those little small steps. We want to do the big flashy things. I'd love to give a million dollars so that we can get this building project going. I don't have that. God hasn't entrusted me with that. And in some ways, I'm really glad he hasn't because I would really mess it up. Because I mess up with the little that he gives me. But to be able to ask and say, Lord, what is it that you would have for me? And how can I be faithful? How can I do the extraordinary right now. And part of that is evaluating and looking and saying, Lord, would you stretch my commitment? Because my guess is you have an opportunity to sow bountifully if you so choose. I love what Paul says then later in that same chapter in 2 Corinthians 9 where he says, God loves a cheerful giver. So as we ask the Lord to stretch our commitment, remember, it, it isn't, yep, I'm here again for another meeting. <laughs> or I got to make this coffee this morning so people don't yell at us. Or I handed out a couple tracts at work, hoping Jesus will... Work on these sinful people. Remember, verse 1, shout, sing, you who are barren because of God's provision. We sit, I stand here today, and look at how God has blessed us. How can we not be a cheerful giver? Say, well, I can. You can not be a cheerful giver, but God takes delight in when we are. The third point here is found in verse 3. To expand my influence. To expand my influence. Verse 3, Isaiah 54. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. 
and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Here's the promise. It takes me to John chapter 12. When Jesus is telling those who are following him, whoever loses his life or loves his life will lose it. But whoever hates his life in this world will actually gain eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must what? Follow me. It starts with us following the Lord and then asking and saying, Lord, would you expand my influence? It's us dying to ourselves. It's what, what he says there in verse 24 of John 12, where unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and it dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So how do we have great influence? We die to ourself. This promise of Israel going and populating desolate cities. It's beyond their own comprehension. It's this idea that we don't have anybody to go do that. And yet God has promised you're going to have so many people. You have been barren. You're going to have so many people that you're going to repopulate these places. And I'm going to spread you out. And your influence, the other nations are going to see you. And there's going to be something different about you. That's us. That's the church today. Here we are gathered in this place to worship the great and awesome God. And we should be asking and pleading and leaving here with the idea and the expectation, Lord, would you please expand our influence that where you go, God has placed you and put you. He hadn't put me there. It's not my job to influence for you. It's not somebody across the aisle's job to influence where God has put you. It's your job. And the way it starts is first dying to yourself so that when you realize there's this great fruit, it's because of what God has done. We see this picture in John chapter 6. Because again, in our culture, we think, we think influence is bigger, better, greater, right? Mm, not according to Jesus, because in John chapter 6, what do we see? Jesus feeds the 5,000 in the first few verses, right? The feeding of the 5,000. Here's the 5,000. There's a huge crowd. I'd love to see 5,000 people here today, wouldn't you? I think we would all be pretty excited. But what happens by the end of that chapter? You don't even get through the whole chapter 6. By the end of the chapter, here's a verse that said, after this Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Say, so, well, Jesus, he, uh, he expanded his influence, huh? Was he successful? I always go back to Noah. Was Noah successful in expanding his influence?
be careful how we define this because God has a great sense of humor, doesn't he? Only he could be the one who could say sometimes less is greater. And only God's kingdom can do that. Just like only God's kingdom can take something that's ashes and make something beautiful. Ever heard of Edward Kimball? Anybody ever heard of him? Pastor Ed, you don't count. It's great that you do. Anybody else? Edward Kimball. When we think about the influence upon the different godly men that we've read and seen stories or heard stories about, this single person, Edward Kimball, is an example, and I want to read to you a story about how God expanded his influence. And I want you to think about your life. Kimball was a Sunday school teacher who not only prayed for the hyper boys in his class, but also sought to win each one of them to the Lord personally. He decided that he would be intentional with every single last one of them. Surely he thought about throwing in the towel. If you ever taught the Bible to young boys, you know the experience can often be like herding cats. I was one of those boys. <laughs> Not part of this story, but I'm thankful for my Sunday school teachers who are gracious to me. One young man in particular didn't seem to understand the gospel. And so Kimball went to the shoe store where he was stocking shelves and he confronted him in the stock room with the importance of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That young man was Dwight L. Moody. In the stock room on that Saturday, Dwight believed in the gospel and he received Jesus Christ as his Savior. In his lifetime, Moody touched two continents for God, with thousands professing Christ through his ministry. But the story doesn't end there. Actually, it's just beginning. Under Moody, another man's heart was touched for God, William Chapman, or Wilbur Chapman. Chapman became an evangelist who preached to thousands. One day, a, professor, a professional ball player had a day off, and he attended one of Chapman's meetings. And thus, Billy Sunday was converted. Sunday quit baseball and became part of Chapman's team. Then Chapman accepted the pastorate of a large church, and Billy Sunday began his own evangelistic crusades. Another young man was converted whose name was Mordecai Ham. He was a scholarly, dignified gentleman who wasn't above running a hearse and parading it through the streets, advertising his meetings. I thought, maybe I should do that. <laughs> when Ham came to Charlotte, North Carolina, a sandy-haired, lanky young man, then in high school, vowed that he wouldn't go hear him preach. But Billy Frank, as he was called by his family, did eventually go. Ham announced that he knew for a fact that a house of ill repute was located across the street from the local high school 
and that male students were skipping lunch to visit the house across the street. So when students decided to go to interrupt the meetings of Mordecai Ham, Billy Frank decided to go see what would happen. That night, Billy Frank went and was intrigued by what he heard. Returning another night, he responded to the invitation and he was converted. Billy Frank eventually became known as Billy Graham, the evangelist who preached to more people than any other person who ever lived, according to, uh, including the Apostle Paul. I don't, this is, I'm reading this, so facts, I don't know about that. You will continue following his trail and see where Graham and all of us started with the ministry of Jesus. Think about how far-reaching Christ's message has gone. If you are like most people, and a lot of you are here, you serve in some capacity wondering at times if you are making a real difference or not. Maybe you thought about quitting. Maybe you feel like you're not making any difference. Next time you're tempted to give up, please remember Edward Kimball whose persistence and faithfulness was tremendously honored by the Lord. The story would have looked very different if Edward Kimball did not take his Sunday school and that Saturday, take time out that Saturday to go seek out that young Dwight Moody. You can count the apples on a tree, but only God knows how many apples are in a single seed. When we think about expanding our influence, I don't mean that you have to be on a big stage or that you have to be more popular or that your arena needs to be greater. When we ask God to expand our influence, it goes beyond just us to say, Lord, here I am as your vessel. Use me. To expand your kingdom. I want to use my life. To influence others. For you Lord. That's the heart. So what if. What if you did something. Extraordinary. What if you do something extraordinary. Like teach a class. Or. Do what God has put you to here to do. Maybe it's in the same role. Maybe it's a different role. But be faithful in doing it. And be careful how you define success. Would you pray with me, Lord? We thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, that you gave your people, Israel, the hope that we have read and studied here in Isaiah 54. Those principles we see elsewhere in Scripture, and they apply to us as your children. And so, Lord, we want to be about your kingdom. As prayerful stewards, we come asking, Lord, that you would do something extraordinary in us. That you would do something extraordinary through us. That you would put in our minds and our hearts 
a renewed spirit to continue to be faithful to you, to walk with you, abiding with you, loving you, learning your voice, hearing you, and walking with you. Lord, we pray that you would expand our capacity beyond our own nativity, the idea that we can't even comprehend this. We're naive to that. Sometimes we can't even see it, but Lord, you can do stuff that we can't even begin to imagine. So enlarge our capacity. Stretch our commitment. I know there are some who are here today who feel like they can't do anything more. And so often, Lord, it's not about doing more. It's about being who you want us to be. It's about being with you. And the more that we spend time with you, the more you accomplish through us. The more we can decipher what is your will, the more we can allow you to stretch our commitments. So that we can look and we can say, Lord, I couldn't do this if you hadn't helped me. And Lord, I pray that you would expand our influence. That we may be bold. That you may give us strength, wisdom, confidence. You told your people, fear not. And you tell us today, don't be afraid. I'm with you. I live inside of you. I reside in your heart. And I've given you a helper. Lord, thank you for your truths. And may you continue to use us in the places, amongst the people, doing the things that you desire so that we may influence them for your kingdom. Because it is about your kingdom. And I thank you, Lord, that we get to inherit that kingdom. Even though we walk through the trials and the hardships of this world. This world is not our home. As the old hymn says, we're just a passing through. But yet, Lord, we want our influence to be great. Because we want people to come to know Christ, to love you, to follow you, and for them to influence others. So help us to remain faithful. Help us to stay close to you. Help us to keep our priorities focused upon you, placing you first, seeking your kingdom and your righteousness first. As we humbly pray and seek your face, We turn from our sin and we see you work in our lives. Thank you for each one that's here and for those who are watching online. Lord, may you go before us doing your perfect will and may we walk obediently with you. We pray this in the blessed name of our Savior, Jesus, the Messiah, our great Savior. Amen. Lord bless you as you go throughout today and the rest of your week.